welcome back to another episode of In the Woods with Dogs. I am Hannah Halverson, and in this episode, I talk with my good friend Amber Decane about game recovery. Amber and I are both fairly new to the blood tracking and game recovery world, um, and we sat down and had a conversation about our experiences and what game recovery is all about. Amber and I both recently just acquired our UBT ones. She got hers with her dog, Archer. I got two with one of my dogs, Bauer, and my other dog, Kamikaze. And this year we are gearing up for taking tracking a little more seriously and um, pushing ourselves a little bit harder and pushing our dogs a little bit further. So we talk about that. Um, I also started this, this episode is just a mess. I'm gonna give you that right now. Uh, This episode (laughs) falls apart the further you get into it. Um, I was enjoying a little bit of a Sunday fun day and (laughs) we just, at a certain point, I was a little too far into the seltzers and needed to be done. Um, we got interrupted a couple of times. I needed to get up and use the restroom a few times. So this one is definitely rough around the edges, but, um, it's still a really good conversation. I started the episode or I started recording early into the conversation where Amber and I were talking about her experiences with the dog she just fostered for me, Torg, who just recently got adopted. And um, I just, I was enjoying the flow of that and I wanted to start recording in a a natural place. Um, And when I was listening back to it, I just felt like it was a good little side tangent and I really enjoyed it and I wanted to leave it in there. So It takes a while before we get geared up and actually start talking about tracking, but um, Amber talking about her experience with Torg, her future puppy that she'll be getting, and um, puppy raising in general. I think that first 10 minutes is still a pretty valuable little chunk. Um, So I hope you enjoy it. Um, I hope you don't mind that it's a bit of a roller coaster. Archer's so much happier, so then I'm like hesitant, like, do I even... Why are you guys grouching? Lay down. <laughs> like, how is that going to work when I get my Dutchie? Like, is Archer going to, like, hate that dog? Like, not that he, like, absolutely hated Torg. That's just kind of part but, of growing your household. Well, and I think, too, like, knowing that, like, Torg had, like, an expiration date with yeah. me... I was like a lot more lax about things and let things slide more versus like knowing I'm going to be getting like a duchy puppy. Like, but also I feel like I'm going to be more intentional with certain aspects that I was a lot more lax on with tour just because right. I wasn't keeping him for super long. But also when you have a duchy, you also understand that like, that might not be a house dog. Yeah. And he might not be a house dog for like two years. Yeah. So that's different too. Whereas Torg was like, you are a pet dog. Mm-hmm. You will be somebody's pet dog. Yeah. You can be in my home as a pet dog. You know, like he could be out in the house and do mm-hmm. all those things. Where when you get a Dutchie, you'll be like, you cannot be out in my house. You need to go away. Yeah. Hey, Biggie. Lay down. So, but also like hoping that 
Like, Play down the duchy won't have as much of, like, the cockiness. <laughs> but, like, the, like, way that Tor did. Like, I want a, like, duchy that's confident and cocky, but not, like, I don't know. Tor was just different in the way he, like, had to, like, be in the middle. Like, I couldn't have an interaction with Archer that Torg didn't have to come and interrupt. That's just a puppy thing, though. Yeah. That's just, like, a pushy puppy thing. So your duchy mm-hmm. will do that. But we'll be, I will be more intentional on, like, intervening with that so that Archer doesn't... I don't think he will, though, because no. it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, you know. get to a point when you have a shit ton of dogs and you have certain types of dogs... Where you're like, yeah, that's just how you guys are. That's just what you do. And you like you guys figure out your own kind of deal. Hey, Biggie, I don't know why you're sniffing the couch like that and sliding up to it, but do not do what you might do. Lay down. Lay down. I love you so much. He got scared of his own tail hitting the table. Lay down. I love you so much, and you know you can get out of things by being sweet to me, but you need to lay down. Thank you. What a guy. Um, I think I think people start out with those intentions of like, this puppy's going to be different. And then the more you settle into the groove with the puppy, especially as somebody who's had plenty of experiences with dogs, mm-hmm. you just get to a point where like, fuck it. Yeah. You're just going to be the way you are. And like, Amos has definitely changed every new dog I get. You know, yeah. like, and all my dogs have. They all take a little bit less attention for every dog that I get. But we just figure it out. Yeah. You know, like, when I had Finn, that was different. You know, Finn was pretty volatile, and we could... Volatile. volatile. <laughs> I'm only, like, a quarter into the second one. Um volatile and that I could tell was taking a huge toll and so that was part of the reason why I decided to put him down but everybody else is just kind of like yeah you just kind of have to make sacrifices and like you are going to be a different dog now because there's a different you live with a different personality yeah and but it's not hurting your quality of life so bad and I just feel I think it's because like, what really highlighted that, like, Archer was really different in the last few weeks that I had toured was when he went on his first homestay. Yeah. And, like, Archer just, like, lit up again and yeah. was, like, bringing me toys again. Mm-hmm. And I realized, like, because Tor was obnoxious about stuff and obnoxious about play, right. Archer just kind of drifted away from, like, playing with toys and right. stuff like that. And at my house, like, with the dogs that I have... I just have toys out all the time. Right. And so, like, just being probably just more mindful of, more teaching the puppy, like, you go away sometimes and it's going to be fine. Because Torg would also throw a fit. Like, if he was in a kennel and I was playing with Archer. Right. And, like, letting Archer have a lot more one-on-one time with me. Like, yeah. Torg would be in the kennel throwing a fit. So just being more mindful of setting up more structure in that way of, like, yeah, more one-on-one time with each dog. Yeah. And more, like, outside of, like, a training scenario. Right. And, like, I didn't, I mean, I put zero 
effort into training him, like... That's not entirely true, but I know what you but mean. But, like, like, pet dog things. Like, I yeah. spend a lot of time, like, doing specific training things with Archer versus, like, Torg. I didn't want to build that relationship and connection because that would have been harder for me to, like, send him to his home then because I would have been more attached. Um, so, really, the only, like, fun connection we had was through play. Right. So... Anytime, like, there was play, Tor needed to be involved, he thought. Yeah. A duchy will do that, too. It but will, yeah. but I'll also have, like, other places to build a relationship and yeah. build that connection. Yeah. And just setting up more structure in, which I think a duchy would need more of that structure, too. Yes. So... Setting yeah. that up versus, like, Torque. I'm like, I don't know, you're going to be a pet doc, so who cares? And you're not going to be my problem. No. No. He's <laughs> you learn the things to be a good buddy in yeah. life. That's all you got at my house. Mm. <laughs> and a good recall. No, he, I mean, everybody that fostered puppies out of that litter did a really good job doing exactly what they needed to do. Yeah. And that's, like, I knew you guys would. I knew every single one of you would do just the right amount and they're puppies like they didn't really need extreme training anyways and if you know if those of you that wanted to do that you know like Melissa did a lot with Fergus slash Yukon but it was all fun stuff well and yeah like I mean like I did fun experiences but like as far as like formal but that's exactly how I raise puppies yeah that's like you all raised puppies the way that I would want you to raise puppies, which is why I liked you guys for those puppies. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, they would not be the puppies that they are if if it was anybody else. Yeah. You know, like, they needed exactly what they got. And mm-hmm. that, they're perfect. Like, they're set up for success now. So. Yeah. No, they were, and I don't want r- super rigid expectations and, and obedience on puppies anyways they all and Torg was the with us with you the longest Mm -hmm. but he's still only nine months old now and like now is the age where I would start putting training on a dog yeah like now is like I spend the exactly like what you did with him spend the first seven months just showing him like this is what life looks like Mm mm-hmm here are some kind of suggestions about how you could move your body in ways that could communicate with me. But otherwise, let me just show you a bunch of pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I feel like I set him up with, like, a really good foundation. Because, like, I mean, he, he, was, he likes learning. Yeah. Like, I've done, like, some shaping and stuff with him, but just super fun. Fun, like, when put I took your feet him, on weird things. When I took him to drop him off with Andrew. Oh, yeah, you've had him for a little bit. If, I mean... We walked him around a park for a while, and he he pulls a little on a leash, but not that bad. No. And he just exists. Like, mm-hmm. he just hangs out. And I don't know, I don't get nine-month-old puppies from clients that act like that. Yeah. So, like, that, and and clients don't do the things they need to do to get a dog to that point. Like, people mm-hmm. don't know what it takes don't know truly what it takes to get a dog to a point where at nine months old you bring them to a park they've never been, handle that, have them be handled by a person that they've never met, and hand them off to somebody that has no idea what they're doing, and they just walk. Like, mm-hmm. I had Andrew walking him around the park, and we went and, like, looked for people to, like, 
I wanted him to, to, I wanted to talk to him about, like, how do you go about managing him around people he doesn't know since he yeah. gets kind of suspicious. But, um, so we literally walked around looking for people and he just exists. Like, he was just mm-hmm. there. Like, you would have thought he was a two-year-old dog. Yeah. And the only way that you can truly get that well, especially with, like, shitty genetics and shitty early socialization like those dogs got, yeah. the only way that you can get there is by, like, play, playing the slow game. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to go slow with dogs like that. And it's just the more pressure you put on them, the more they're just, like, out the other end. Yeah. So, and people and most people just don't do that well. So, they got exactly what they needed. But... The real reason we're here is to talk about tracking. <laughs> I just wanted to start it because I did enjoy that conversation, that little side conversation. And I also just wanted to start it in like a natural place to get the ball rolling a little bit. Um, usually what I do is I go back and record an intro where we actually mm-hmm. say like, here's what we're talking about so that we can just start talking um, and have it be normal I was just gonna look for my phone and I picked up that I was gonna pick up this e-color <laughs> remote and that was just gonna be like a weird little displacement behavior of like okay now things are happening touch your phone um not addicted to our phones at all no but my phone is recording it is right there I will say this count like this counter that it's got clock is what it's called it's kind of intimidating yeah I wonder if I should just turn my screen brightness down there and it's just not so in your face. Um, it will stop at exactly 60 minutes. Despite what Keely says, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I will stop it and start it up again. Um, but Amber is my tracking buddy. Um, we have had different experiences with tracking but um we both prepared we spent the last few months preparing for our ubt tests and then we just both passed them the other day um so i thought it would be a good a good conversation um i don't there's a couple other people in our our circle of people that track but um you and i have tracked together so that's what we're here for today. So let's get back to being normal humans and not recording a podcast. Tell me about how you decided you wanted to start tracking and your early experiences in training your dog Archer. Yeah, so I never actually like intended on doing blood tracking. Um, never even really thought it was a thing. And then I got Archer um, my Hound Terrier mix, and shortly... Slash Shiba Inu Border Collie. We pretend that those parts don't exist. <laughs> What's his actual embark again? Um, Jack Russell. What's the most? The most, so Beagle. He's Beagle. 50% Beagle. Okay. Or almost 50% Beagle. And then it's kind of like equally split into, um, Terrier, I think it was like a Russell's type Terrier. Yeah. Um, Pitbull. Everybody's got a little pit Everybody's bull in them. Everybody's got a little pit in them. Um, Shiba Inu, Border Collie, and then, like, Super Mutt. Hmm. 
So, like, yeah. Interesting. Okay, yeah. anyways. And so all of his Embark relatives are, like, straight beetles. Yeah. So. That's um, how uh, Bruce is. Yeah. He has, like, 25% German Shepherd, but the German Shepherd that he has in him is apparently a West German show line slash pet line. Mm-hmm. West German, I mean, we could, that's a whole episode <laughs> talking about different lines, but we were just talking about it the other day in our group chat, so, um, but they're, like, the pet quality West German show lines, and when you go look at his relatives, it's all West German show line German shepherds, which I think is really funny. There's not even, like, mutts that kind of look like him, it's all German shepherds, yes. so nobody that has his blood even embarked yep same with archer but we just like eliminate everything except for the he's a beagle terrier mix yeah i do that with my mutts too it's yeah. just easier except cade because all four of those bre- well i well it's just cool i omit lab chow out of the mix though because yeah. they're like super tiny and it was like if you look at his I know the family tree isn't like super super accurate they mm-hmm. do their best but i still like to look at those and it was like lab and the pity and then the chow i can't remember where the chow is but like everybody has pipple lab chow rottweiler and german shepherd in them at some point way back in there Mm -hmm. because those were like the popular breeds in the 90s and so everybody's great great something or other is in there anyways but yeah okay so you started tracking with or you started considering tracking with archer um, yeah, so I got him in 2017 as a, he was a young adult, um, and just, like, with hiking with him, like, he always was, like, mm-hmm. tracking stuff in the woods, mm-hmm. um, and I grew up hunting, um, in a hunting family, um, and so, like, I started, like, getting the idea of, like, is that even a thing? Right. Um, and so I started looking into it more and realized, oh, it is actually a thing that you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so started researching it. Um, I'm from Wisconsin, so I started kind of reaching out from, to some um, tracking networks and, like, people in the network in Wisconsin. When um, was that? Like, when did you have the, like, I'm going to start talking to people and make this a real thing? That was... Like three so years get- ago? November 2017, 2019. Okay. Um, yeah, because it was, the first fall I had him, I was still fostering him to rehome him. Um, so I didn't have any interest in it then. Um, but then, yeah, I think it was 2019. Okay. Or 2018, 2019. How long has it been legal in Wisconsin? I don't even know that. I have no idea. Longer than it's been legal Longer than Minnesota, yeah. But Um, not, like, crazy long. I yeah, honestly, never even looked into that. I don't know um, But started trying to, like, reach out to, like, trackers in Wisconsin and just really never was able to connect with anybody. Kind of yeah. got blown off. Um, so I started just with the, like, kit that you can buy. Yeah. Um, and doing blind drags and just the little dropper dropper scent. scent. Yep with him um and that's jeremy moore's dogboneunter.com yes. i forgot 
Yeah. I was like think, trying to think of his name, yeah. and I'm like, Jeremy something. It's a, like, 50-some dollar kit. Yeah. And you get, like, a little deodorant stick of scent or a dropper bottle and a uh, dried-up hide that you can rehydrate and yep. and a string. I think that's all that comes in it, right? String. I think so, yeah. Hide, bottle of scent. Yep. And it's, like, a blood-tracking scent. Yeah, I think they different... have, like, mixed in, like, the inner digital gland, blood, um, like, hide scent. Urine. Urine, yeah. It's, like, a whole concoction. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I would lay drag lines, um, and then I'd get to a point where I'm like, okay, he can do that. Yep. But I don't really know where to go from, like, here to the next, like, how to get to, like, actually taking tracks. and right. Just my type of personality, like, I'm not the type who's, like, without, like... Testing it. Testing and knowing the steps and knowing that I can actually do it. Like, I'm not just gonna... Go do it. Go like do me. it with a bunch... <laughs> well, like, with a bunch of random people, because yeah. I live, like, four and a half hours away from my parents. I, right. At that point, like, was working all the way through hunting season. Every time yeah. I'd happened to be home, nobody would have... Right. Like, shot a deer so that I could run a known track or anything. Um, and so, I'd just kind of fizzle out of it. Yeah. And get discouraged. And then, like, every, like, late summer, early fall, I'd be like, I want to try this again. Let's try it again. Yeah. So, um, but then would, like, just cycle through. The same thing would happen and I'd get fizzled out. Yeah. Um, and I actually was, like, going to call it quits and be done. And then... You met me. I met you... And then you had started. 2019, 2020 was Bauer's first season. Yeah. So, and you and I met 2020. Yeah. So, like, I didn't really know you super well then. Yep. And I'd, like, reached out to you just a little bit yep. about it. But, like, you were still new to it. You weren't yep. super still sure. Him, but, yeah. Um, but, um kind of re-sparked everything and started looking into everything a little bit more. Yep. Um, and then just kind of left it for that year. But then 2020, yep. you started tracking more yourself because Kyle was doing a lot of it the first 2021. year. 2021. 2021, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. Yep. 2021 was my my first season Yeah. of actually taking Bauer out last year. Yep. And then we had become friends by that point, so... Yep. I picked up tracking again, like training with Archer, um, went along to some tracks with you, yep. and then started taking How many real tracks did you take last year? Not a ton. No, because you got, you got like geared up into it halfway through the season. Halfway through the season, plus like I was in the middle of a move and a bathroom remodel and, and changing jobs yep. and... Um, Dealing with but you had real recoveries, out. right? Uh, just a couple. I mean, I one or two. two? Yeah. My yeah, recovery it wasn't rate was like 26%, right? Yeah, now. well, and I think I only, like, real tracks, I think I only took, like, seven or eight that weren't, like, known kills. Yep. Um, and most of them I was going into knowing that, like, it was a shoulder shot or, right. like, knowing that. Well, that, that was my whole, yeah. that was my whole last year. Like, I took 23 tracks and I look back at my notes. I had 23 tracks, six recoveries. But I look back at my notes, and every single one was like a either they had no idea where they hit it, or 
they knew for sure it was a shoulder shot. Yeah. Or, like, a single lung, and they just, they bumped it, or they did stupid shit. Yeah. But they were not the tracks that people who have been doing this for a while take. They were the tracks that people who are, let me just get out there and learn everything I possibly can take. So, yeah. So, yeah, I think I had one... I thought you had two, two real recoveries. I think it was two real recoveries and then one confirmed alive. Okay. Because um, they saw that deer again yep. with no issues during gun season. Yep. Um, so, not No, that's not bad, bad for our first year out. And I mean, any deer found is a success. Yeah. I mean, even if you had only one recovery, yeah. it's still a success for you and your dog. That's the thing I think people don't really realize about this. And I tried, like, I just shared the official stats for, like, UBT did a survey. Mm-hmm. And the official stats for the country, which obviously are not, not everybody, me including, I kind of forgot. Kyle forwarded me the sta- the survey <laughs> and I didn't look at it. And I then saw the results and I was like, huh, I was supposed to do that. Um, but they they did a survey and they broke down, you know, treks taken, recoveries, and then they did recoveries per genre of animal, species of animal. And the recovery rate for the entire country was only like 40%. Yeah. And my personal recovery rate for last season was like 26. And Kyle's was better. But Kyle took fewer tracks mm-hmm. and took better tracks. Um, I still, to this day, don't think that any of the deer that I tracked were dead in the field while I was out there. Yeah. There were definitely times where I walked away from it thinking, like, shit, we didn't find it. And you mm-hmm. beat yourself up. But, like, backing away from it, being objective, thinking, like, replaying those situations in my head again, those deer are either alive and kicking yeah. or they're dead somewhere really fucking far away yeah there's two that for me stand out that like i do think those deer were dead but we were stopped sure so like property um, lines property stuff. lines i've um, had one of those yeah yeah well one was a property line and like in wisconsin you can't keep going nope. you have to get permission right um from the property owner well, their, and their trespassing wouldn't... laws are also just much more firm yeah so we couldn't um the, like, owner of the next property, like, just would not let us on that property. Yeah. Um, and then a different one was called off by a hunter because he adamantly thought my dog was going in the wrong direction. Mm. Um, so, call, even though we ran that track three times, mm-hmm. and my dog ran the same track three times. The um, same line. The yeah. same exact line. Three times. Um... And he called us off because they had a limited time frame because he was, like, going out of town the next day. And they wanted to grid search the opposite direction. Um, But he didn't find it? No, he didn't find it. At least he didn't tell you. No, I got a text the next day, like, we really should have kept following you because we grid searched. Yeah. But. Okay, so let's back up a little bit. Let's talk about, like, what is blood tracking? What is game recovery? What the fuck are we doing out there wandering in the woods with strangers and dogs? So, I think... Blood tracking is a misnomer for one. Mm-hmm. The dogs are not, when we're tracking deer at least, the dogs are not tracking blood. Um, 
that is part of it. That's a mm-hmm. small, small fraction. But the reason why somebody would call in a dog is because, for the most part, the blood is is able to be seen with the human eye. There are mm-hmm. definitely times where you see, like, tiny little specks. But the blood can be seen by a human eye. And at a certain point, when a deer or an animal is running off, sometimes the, the body just shifts in a way that the wound will stop bleeding. And the, do- the dog, the deer is still fatally wounded, but they're no longer bleeding. Or they're, they're running so fast that the blood is super far apart, or that what you are getting is tiny little droplets. And so the hunter is no longer able to visually track the deer. And so they'll call a dog in. And what the dog is actually tracking is a, a scent from what's called an interdigital gland. And all deer have this interdigital gland in between their two little... What are those even... They're not toes. <laughs> but it's in their hooves. Hooves, yeah. In between their two little toes. And every deer has kind of like a unique... It's kind of... I compare it to kind of like B.O. Like we mm-hmm. all have B.O., but our B.O. smells specific. We, as humans, will smell the general scent of B.O., but a dog, being the fact, just being a dog, and the fact that their, their sense of smell is so much heightened, they can smell out the individual traits of that scent. And so each individual deer has a different kind of vibe to their interdigital gland scent, but they only really secrete, well, they secrete that for a variety of reasons, but they secrete a lot of it when they're fatally wounded and fleeing the area. And the reason for it is to tell other deer in the area that they are wounded fucking leave. (laughs) Don't (laughs) hang out here. There's danger. And so there is something I think, and I will die on this hill until somebody that knows more than me tells me I'm wrong. There is something just innate in a dog, a predator, that when they smell the scent of a wounded animal, they want to follow it. And so that is the game. That's blood tracking. Even though it's not blood tracking, that is game recovery for deer. You can also recover, this was part of one of the questions that I had you write down from my Instagram, was are there other animals that people will track? And in Minnesota and Wisconsin, we don't really have anything else besides white-tailed deer and black bear. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of the the main two. Well, the only two. But in other parts of the country, there are different types of deer, different species of deer. There's different animals like hogs. Um, Some people will even blood track mountain lion. But basically anything big enough that you're not going to kill, like there's a chance that you're not going to kill it instantly can be tracked. But here in Minnesota and Wisconsin, our only two are black bear and white-tailed deer. Black bear and other like not hooved animals. I don't even know if hogs have I don't know if hogs have interdigital glands. I think it's any cloven hoof animal okay. has it. Okay. So at one point I looked it up because I was curious and cows have it. Okay. Okay. But like a bear does not. No. So when someone is tracking or a mountain lion, there isn't anything about that bear that's uniquely that bear scent except for just like repeated footsteps. So like you put the dog on the line, it's smelly enough that it's interesting and they want to continue following that track. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I don't know. I don't, there's not like a, because a bear is a predator, there's not like a, hey, I'm wounded, stay out of here mm-hmm. kind of vibe. Um, there's just, that's what makes tracking bear much more complicated. The other pieces, it's very complicated. Some dogs just don't want to track bear because they're predators. So there's, like I said, there's something innate in dogs, I think, like predator tracking wounded prey. I want to follow that scent. My brain is wired to want to follow. They don't know maybe consciously why, but they just do. I think that probably goes back to like deer or not deer. Dogs are scavengers. Yes. So yep. if you follow the scent of a wounded animal. You're going to find food. Yeah. Yep. And so, but tracking a predator is not wired no. in a dog in the same way. Unless you're Bauer. Um, so... Some dogs just won't even put their nose down. Like, they're like, fuck that shit. That smells scary. Um, And just a quick side tangent. When I took, when we went to the Terrier trial in South Dakota and there was a scent trail that was a raccoon scent, uh, Brew, my foster, didn't want to track it. He was freaked out. He smelled the raccoon and got all hackly. And then, um, also just small side tangent, the guy that laid the track had to also kill that raccoon with his boots so his boots smelled like raccoon because nobody it was the raccoon that was alive on the track that we didn't know that was the track that brew ran oh remember i had you come hold brew yeah because the track the track kept getting interrupted by an alive raccoon i didn't know they switched out the raccoons and so they brought in the dog to just to find locate and pull out that raccoon that kept destroying our or like distracting dogs off of the Mm -hmm. scent trail that raccoon was dispatched, but we weren't really prepared to dispatch that raccoon. So the the boot method came into play. And so then they were like, hey, let's freshen up this track because it's been a few hours and it's getting hot. And so they used that raccoon to lay the track. Mm-hmm. And so then the guy, the, the judge, smelled like raccoon. And so, and then he also had on fucking pit viper sunglasses. <laughs> and so Brew hit scent, got all hackly. All wigged out, was sniffing the guy's boots, was all wigged out, was looking up at his stupid pit vipers, was all wigged (laughs) out, and um, he was freaked out. He did not want to follow that scent. There's just something different about Mm -hmm. certain scents like that, where they're, like, suspicious. Yeah. So dogs get like that about bear, too. And that was just the only reason why I brought that up, is because that was the first time I visualized it, because Bauer doesn't have an issue tracking bear. We don't take a lot of bear tracks. I personally don't really want to find a half alive and angry wounded bear by myself i don't carry a pistol with me um so if the hunter that i'm with doesn't carry a pistol we're fucked so i don't really want to track bear but bauer will track bear some dogs won't yeah i don't know if archer will like we came across one in the woods and he really wanted to chase it or from a distance he seemed like like i had to stim him really high and actually like yeah physically grab hold of him um for him not to chase the bear i don't know if he will actually like track a bear because we just kind of left the area after we saw the bear and yeah again i don't want to particularly track bear because well and they're harder too it's just harder it's a harder track because there's so many other scents. Usually people will put out bear baits. And mm-hmm. so there's all this kind of food scent and all the scent from all the other bears that had come to the bear bait, yeah. raccoons that came to the bear bait, all these other kind of scavenging animals. 
And so it's just a messier track. Whereas yeah. when you're tracking a deer, you could walk into the woods and have 15 other deer that had just walked through there. But because you're tracking that interdigital gland scent and the dog has started on that line and has had a history with that. That's why we'll always start a dog, you know, 50 to 100 yards back from last blood. Mm-hmm. So a hunter calls us. Well, we're talking because, like, I've talked to David about it, and he, like, hands down always starts at the hit site if possible. Yeah, I will, but I've had some tracks where last blood is, like, three, 400 yards away. Um, and it's like, we don't need to do all that. Yeah. We don't need to walk through the yards for, or through the woods for 400 yards. Just bring me, like, 50 to 100 yards back. Yeah. And give my dog some history with that scent. And then we'll go from there but the dogs just it's I think it's different than what people are experiencing with something like nose work mm-hmm. where it's like find this birch scent and yeah. I don't know you know more no, more about nose work than I do but find this birch scent and it's like it the scent particles are like in the air and in the area mm-hmm. and around but it's not like a track yeah you know like the birch didn't just go walking through the woods yeah. it's just birch scent sitting in a little spot so, once the dog has some history of like, oh, this is an interesting smell, and I've been in this situation enough that I kind of understand the the objective here. Mm-hmm. It's just rep after rep after rep of like, yes, the scent is a tiny bit different than the one I did yesterday, but it's close enough and the context is similar enough that I think if I just keep going, yeah. I'll do well. So... Um, what the fuck am I talking about? <laughs> I don't know where you were going. I have to pee really bad. So, okay, pause. Okay, we're back. Um, I have no idea what tangent I was on. Um, that's just how this works. It does not help that I am two Topo Chico's. Topo Chico ranch, wa- ranch water's deep and I've got two. Guys, can you not fight? in the- You can't eat a Euro mount. Go lay down. This is, they come in here and they're like free bones for all of us. And those were very expensive. Well, they're euro amounts. They're not the most expensive. But they are expensive. And someone worked very hard. Okay, please lay down. Um, I think we were just kind of talking about like what the fuck even is game recovery. And what the dogs are tracking. We talked about in- interdigital gland. We talked about how you can also track bear. You can also track other uh like padded foot animals is how i classify them i don't know what you would call them but i'm versus hooved animals um but it's just a little bit different of a scent um so that's that's the goal the basically what happens is somebody usually bow hunting because bow hunting is just more challenging you have a there's more of a risk that your shot's not going to be great and be we have lethal. Be that much more precise. Yes. And like something as like the deer just like slightly turning a little bit. Or a stick bit. being in the way that you couldn't see. Mm-hmm. And I think, so coming into this as being somebody that is not a hunter themselves, these are things that I didn't realize were so challenging about deer hunting, and I have a completely different respect for it now. Like both, so my parents are split, and I have a dad and a stepdad. Um... And both of them were what I would consider more casual hunters in comparison to the people I track for in comparison to, like, Kyle 
and his dad are very like hunting is a lifestyle for them mm-hmm. like they take long trips to go hunting every year um that's like their main hobby they are hunters and my dad and my stepdad enjoyed hunting but like they don't do it anymore they probably haven't gone in 10 years yeah. I like I don't know the last time but a very long time and they would go during rifle season and they would go they would harvest a deer that would be it like they'd go sit out for a weekend and they would harvest a deer and with bow hunting I have this completely different respect for 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 deer hunting because you really have to put in a lot of effort mm-hmm. you have to sit in that stand for a really long time and you will have nights where you'll sit and watch a deer, a buck, a doe, whatever you're, you know, who, whichever one you're, you're going out there to harvest, and it will never give you a perfect shot. Yeah. And you have to have that perfect shot, that perfect opportunity, because the, the weapon that you're using just requires more finesse. Mm-hmm. And the other piece of it is a lot of times that ha- is happening right at dusk. Yeah. And so your, your daylight is gone. The deer come out when it's, you know, starting to cool off, especially early in the season, starting to cool off, starting to get a little bit darker. And things like a twig that you didn't know were there can change the complete trajectory of that arrow. And what you thought was going to be a perfect shot ends up being too far back or too far forward or too high, too low. There is a very small target on a very large animal. Yeah. And you have to draw them in a lot closer. Yeah. Um, and the harper too, with, um, just, I don't bow hunt, but my dad is an avid bow hunter. So I grew up like hearing yep. all about it. Like you're also hunting before the rut. Mm-hmm. So the deer aren't like during the rut, you can call in a deer as close as you need it pretty much. Especially sure. like a buck. Um, cause they're, they're ready priority <laughs> during that time. Fine bitches. <laughs> Fine bitches. Um, Versus, like, during, like, most of bow season, you're not getting deer that are moving that much. Right. You're only getting deer moving pretty much during prime times, and then the off chance you can call one in, or you can get one to move, or you kind of stumble across one moving um, during the middle of the day. Right. That's not going to happen as much. But they need to be so much closer. Um... And just having, like, one thing shift a tiny bit can throw everything off. Like, I don't know how many times, like, my dad would come home from deer hunting and or bow hunting and just be like, watched them for two hours. Couldn't take a shot. Just out of range or, like, they were in the perfect shot, like, the perfect lineup, like, right, like, sweet spot in the shooting lane. And they just wouldn't give them the shot. Like, they were just, like quartered away too much or something and like I that. And I think there's so much more that can spook a deer when you're bow hunting mm-hmm. as well. And they're very flighty. Well, they're prey animals. Super, super, like, but, pick up, yeah. like, draw, like, at least with silent. A, and I, again, I'm speaking out of my butt a little bit here because I've never done it myself. But, like, if you're sitting in a stand with a firearm, you can have that pretty much pointed, ready, Mm-hmm. And all you have to do is come up to it and, you know, get it exactly right, pull the trigger at the end. But if you're sitting in a stand, also you can, 
when you're sitting, when you're bow hunting, the type of stand that you're sitting in is much more open mm-hmm. versus in rifle season, you're like the stands around here are like big tree houses, basically. I mean, yeah, it depends on where you hunt. Like, sure. When I hunted, um, like at my parents' land, all the stands are the same. Okay. Bow hunting versus gun season. Okay. Um, just because we don't have tons of land. So, like, sure. they're all very open. But for the most part, if people are only rifle hunting, yeah, like, usually they have box stands or, like, right. platforms. And those are more comfortable mm-hmm. anyways. But so you're you're just a little more out in the open, and these, these deer are very flighty, and you aren't going to sit there with your bow cocked and ready the whole fucking time. You sit there hanging out, and when it's time, you have to very slowly, very carefully, very quietly, very strategically pull that bow up, draw it back, and mm-hmm. there's a chance the deer turns in the 15 mm-hmm. seconds it takes to be ready for the shot. Yeah, or here's your draw. Yep, or they're, yeah, and they're gone. So what I'm getting at mainly is that by the time I go out and track for these guys, they've put a lot of effort into these deer, mm-hmm. and they really don't want to be in the position that they're in. Yeah. But so... The the way that it works is, is this hunter goes out, they take a shot, it's less than ideal. Most of the time, because tracking with the dog is only recently legal, it's only been legal in Minnesota since 2019, I believe. And I don't know if that was 2019 before the deer season or after the deer season of 2019, but 2019 it became legal. And... So it's still something that people don't know about. And what you would typically do before it was legal is it, it would be your responsibility, your ethic res- ethical responsibility to go blood track that deer on your own. And part of that is grid searching. You'll call your buddies, you'll call your family, and a bunch of you will go out and wander in the area looking for blood, looking for disturbance, looking for wound beds, looking for the deer. And... That's the way that you do it. That's the effort you put in. That's the, the, that is the requirement. If you're going to bow hunt, you have to know how to blood track. And I still stand by that. Like you should know how to track your own deer, but people will go out and call a dog as the last resort. And that's what we're kind of trying to change. You can't find the date. Not in Wisconsin. Lay down, please lay down. No, my quick Google search, I can't when it became legal in Wisconsin. But so a lot of people will do all of that, exhaust all efforts, and then they'll call a dog in. And we are trying to change that. We would prefer that hunters call a dog in sooner rather than later. And we would prefer, now that we have this option, that grid searching come after that. Because well, I'll get onto that in another tangent. So this is the this is the pattern of or this is the how this goes. Hunter shoots deer. It's also for people who are new and you know, I'm very new and I'm not a deer hunter myself. It is also good practice and known practice to at least back out and allow the deer to lay down mm-hmm. and die. It sometimes happens instant fairly instantaneously. It is a bow shot. If the shot is perfect, they should only run a short distance lay down and die pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but in these cases, the deer will run quite a ways. They'll get gassed because they're bleeding out. Sometimes it is a lung shot, so they can't breathe. They lay down. 
but they don't die instantly all the time. And so it is good practice and known practice to back out and give the deer some time. Sometimes, especially when people are shooting their deer at dusk, they're nervous about, for one, in the early season, leaving it overnight and having the meat spoil. Mm -hmm. Because it is, you know, deer season opens mid-September and it's still pretty warm. And there's a chance that you lose, the meat's no longer usable. Yeah. And so that life was taken in vain. People don't want to do that. That that ticket or that uh, tag was used up and you can't even harvest that deer. The other thing they're worried about is coyotes and wolves taking and scavenging the carcass. So they're antsy, but we really need to give those deer time to lay down. And because they're antsy, sometimes they'll go in too early and they'll bump the deer. And deer can run a really far ways mm-hmm. on adrenaline. They're wounded. They're scared. They're dying. And they will run a very far ways on adrenaline. And at that point is when we'll usually get called because they knew they fucked up and they need help. Or if they bump it once. That's what I just was talking about, bumping a deer. They go in too early, they bump oh, the deer. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Amber was zoning out a little bit. I was bit. zoning out. I was <laughs> thinking about a different topic. Yeah. Not on the same topic, but like. So they'll either do that. They'll go in too early, they'll bump it. Yes. And that hurts the chances of recovery. So that's something we tell people on the phone mm-hmm. right away is, don't go back in. You know, if a hunter calls me and they're like, I might need you. I want to get you lined up in case they do, but I'm going to go back in. I'll be like, please just don't. Please just don't go back in. I know it's going to be a sleepless night for you. Please don't go back in. Just let it lay down. And the chances of recovery are so much higher if you don't push that deer one more time and let that adrenaline take over. Mm-hmm. Let it lay down. The other, the other thing they'll do is they'll call you in the middle of the day. They shot it the night before, got up in the morning. They've been grid searching from 7 a.m. to noon. Mm-hmm. They call you at noon, and they're like, yeah, we've searched the whole woods. We can't find it. Well, what happens at that point, there's a graphic that will, or like a meme that will send people, and it's a photo of a line uh, trail in the snow just like a human trail. It's just a photo. And it says like, this is what our dog is tracking on a clean line. Like this is with no grid searching. This is what our dog sees, you know, with their nose. The snow all around the track is pristine. The track is the only thing disturbed. We run that line. It's straight. It's perfect. And then the next picture is like 15 sets of footprints through the snow, all messed up. And this is a visual representation of what our dog experiences when they go through a grid search. Because when you grid search, what grid searching is, is exactly what it sounds like. is literally just walking through the woods looking for any speck of blood, any sign of the deer at all, or the deer itself. And so you have three to a million dudes walking through the woods. And at some point, you're crossing the trail that the deer walked on. And you're picking up scent particles and you are stepping somewhere else. And from what started as a straight line is now a however big section of woods that the dog can no longer decipher what is an actual hoof print and what is scent particle from the the grid searcher's boot. And so they'll call you after they've exhausted all their other efforts, and at that point, the chances of recovery are so much lower 
because the dog can't follow that straight line. And it's really challenging to come out of that grid searched area. Yeah. And so what we are trying to educate now that tracking is becoming more popular, we do have a Facebook group, Minnesota Tracking Dogs, um, where hunters can connect with trackers. Um, and there's also Wisconsin Tracking Networks t- as well. There's two. Um, we're trying to tell people just back out and call a dog. And that is part of the reason why it took so long to become legal, because there were a lot of people that were saying, this is just one of the many reasons why people were against it for a while, but part of it was that they didn't want hunters getting sloppier. Mm -hmm. If you had to track your own deer, you're more likely to, to work harder for a better shot. Yeah. So that they think that the dog is a cop out, you know, like, oh, it's fine. I'll just call a dog. But the truth is, the dogs aren't magic. There are still plenty of deer, like a non-fatally wounded deer, so a shoulder shot where nothing nothing vital is hit. We're still not going to... There's a very low chance we're going to find that deer. Yeah. Because those things can run for really far ways. And I think that same argument is like with... I don't know if it's in Minnesota or not, but like the legalization of like crossbows without a medical mm. um, exemption. Like, sure. Growing up, crossbows in Wisconsin, you could only have Mm -hmm. if you had, like, a medical exemption. Right. Um, And then, I don't remember when. I remember, like, the controversy surrounding it, but I don't remember when. Crossbows became legal for everyone in Wisconsin, but it was kind of that same, like, worrying about people getting sloppy. Yeah, you're making it too easy. Too easy. Well, and, like, it's more powerful, so people take, like, crummy shots. shots. Yep. Which I do, like... I do think just knowing people who crossbow hunt and tracking for people who crossbow hunt versus compound bow hunt, I will say I have seen a little bit more sloppiness with that. So then, like, it does make me say, okay, you add the popularity of dogs into that too. Like, yeah. I but do the thing feel is, like it's kind of a There's nice going to be hunters like that oh, yeah. no matter what. Yeah. And, like, I just saw a post in the, the other day in a bird dog group where somebody was talking about shooting grouse off the ground. And it was a whole, that's, like, a super, it's just unsportsmanlike mm-hmm. to shoot a bird on the ground. But the whole comment section was filled with, there were probably 50 comments by the time I saw it. And there were people who were like, harvest it however it's legal. And it's like, that's not fair. That's, yeah. that's, that's not showing respect to the animal. Yeah. And shoot the bird on the wing. And there are, there's just always going to be a little bit of that divide on the yeah. people that are like you know, hunting yeah. for for different reasons. But so <clears throat> that is one of the the criticisms of tracking with dogs. Um I have yet to see it, but it's also very new here. Mm-hmm. So who knows what it'll look like in 5 years. Um so, okay, so that's, that is what blood tracking is. That's the objective. Um, every once in a while I get, I get messages from people or like my sweet old grandma. Um, these were the funniest things to me where people were like, okay, so tell me about this thing that you do. So you just, how do you know the deer are dead? And I was like, what? <laughs> how do you know the deer are dead? And you just go out looking for dead deer? 
And I was like, no, I'm tracking for somebody. So do you get to keep the deer? <laughs> no, somebody, somebody else har- is harvesting that deer. That is someone else's deer. I am simply helping them find it. And I think there's just like a lot of, I think people are a little confused about what the game is. And that's yeah. always really funny to me. Um, I think people also have a, a different idea of what how hard it is yeah um and I hate when I like I get into conversations with people like this every once in a while I just had one last night with somebody that wanted to learn about blood tracking and I asked well do you want to take tracks for hunters and they were like no I mostly just want to do it for fun and there's just not really a for fun version no of this I think like the for fun for fun version is like AKC AKC tracking tracking. and I don't even know like what you're tracking in AKC tracking I assume I think it's human human. like I think it's like Schutzen but not not and like more of the like premise of like an ACSW nose work or like where you can go take fun classes. Like, yes. that's what I do. Right. Just because right. like, I like work, it. Nose work in our area is really hard to get into. Yeah. Just because everybody wants to do it. Because it's easy. It's easy and it's fun. And, and that scent work in general is very easy for pretty much any dog. Yeah. The only dogs that I think that don't do well with it are the ones that just, no matter how many times you try, you cannot convince them to care. Yeah. Like, Amos... Very sniffy dog. Mm-hmm. Will not work that hard for it. Yeah. Like, he will not... Amos would never be a good blood tracking dog. Mm-hmm. Because he just doesn't care. Yeah. He just simply... Like, I took him to a barn hunt class, and he was like, wow, I enjoy smelling this rat. hmm And I was like, cool, okay, go find that rat now. No, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> like, while I'm here, interesting scent. While I'm not, you know, right in front of the rat... Everything is an interesting scent. Yeah. And I will not work that hard to find that particular thing. Yeah. And, and so, they, but I think that any dog will find at least a novel scent interesting initially. Mm-hmm. Many dogs, though, I do think are more successful in blood tracking because of what I said earlier about that innate uh, desire to track a wounded animal. Yeah. Where not every dog has the innate desire to track a rat. No. Their prey drive doesn't extend to that point. Lots of dogs don't have, there's like zero innate desire to find birch and clove Mm -hmm. and whatever the fuck you have to pair that with reinforcement. But anyways, scent work is ingrained in all dogs. They will find smelling things interesting. Yeah. And so most dogs will do successful at any kind of scent work activity. And nose work is just, I think, probably the most structured. Well, and I think there's, I don't, again, I don't know a ton about nose work, but I think there's different uh, venues, mm-hmm. too, that are harder or less hard or whatever. Yeah. But it's very structured. There's yeah. a lot of, you know, you can compete and you can earn titles. And so people are attracted to that because it's very welcoming to mm-hmm. all types of dogs and you can be successful. Yeah. Same like barn hunt. Barn hunt is very open to all types of dogs. And you can compete and be successful without a ton of effort on your part. And I would argue that barn hunt is probably more 
easy for a majority of dogs than something like scent work because of mm -hmm. that prey drive. So blood tracking or game recovery is in the same realm as that. What makes it hard is not can the dog do it or not do it. Can you fucking do it? And are you dedicated? Like, right. It's like my schedule doesn't like doesn't allow me to do tons and tons of it. Right. But when I'm out there, like I am working, I'm giving it my all. Well, and that's and, the piece that I think that's where the for fun piece goes away. Yeah. Because this is somebody who, you know, we just talked about how hard bull hunters work. Mm -hmm. How long, like I tracked for a kid last season and his dad was the one that called me. He was a, a minor. The kid was a minor, so the dad called me. And he said to me, he's like, we really want, I really want to find this deer. He's been mm -hmm. sitting, like, this was October, end of October. So, oh, so he'd been later out. in the yeah. season, he said he had been sitting every night watching this buck. And the land that they hunted on, they had to wade through a creek. Like, I needed waders. They were able to get permission and bring me in on a different side, luckily, which mm. was nice. But they were like, you're going to need waders to get to where the stand is. This kid put everything he had into that deer. Yeah. And it is not just a for fun when you walk out there with your dog. No. Even, He's, I will say, like, so even the training isn't uh, just for fun because we both have freezers full of deer legs and deer blood. <laughs> like, right. and that's not... Well, and some like, people aren't, like, this person... And I don't mean to, like, rag on this person. It's just a good example because I've had a thousand conversations yeah. like this. How do I get into it? I want to do it. Do you think my dog would be good at it? All these types of conversations. And it is never about the dog for me. No. And I never, I don't gatekeep it either because we need more trackers. I hate, when we get really deep into the season and we get really busy, we turn tracks down. Yeah. Like there, well, are, there are times where I will get multiple calls or I'll see multiple tracks come in to the group and who are you growling at? What's wrong with you people? Um, he's growling at Kazi, but what is she? She's not doing anything. So, and I can't take him because I'm working or I'm beat. I can't, I just can't do it that day. It's yeah. all technically a volunteer thing. Did you find a tick? No, bears. Oh. Um, and so more trackers is better, but... I won't gatekeep it at all because I want more trackers. Kazi, yeah. lay down. But the game itself will, will gatekeep itself. Yeah. Because well, when you actually get out there, and I, I invite people to come out with me because if you don't see what it's like in real life, you don't really get a feel for it. Mm-hmm. I invite people to come out with me all the time, and I want people to be successful with it, but it yeah. is way harder than I think, even I realized it was yeah. until I started doing it myself. And I think having, like, a realistic, like, expectation of this is what it is. Because, like, I will say, like, I was essentially gatekept from it myself. Yeah. Like, it took me until you well, got into it and Wisconsin, I started making connections that way. Wisconsin, because it's been legal long enough that there's a bigger group of people doing it, that is one thing that people will say is that Wisconsin is, there are two groups in Wisconsin mm -hmm. because one group separated from the other because the one was acting way too territorial. Mm -hmm. And I would love more people in my area because yeah. I can't always take 
every single track. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you started taking tracks, I was like, please call Amber because I'm not available today. Yeah. And I even gave a track away to Jamie, who's in our our circle. And her, she has been on tracks before, but the dog that she tracked with is no longer with her. And so I was like, even a green dog with an experienced handler... Yeah. And not, I wouldn't say she's, like, inexperienced, but she's been on a track before. She knows, she's been like, on, she knows the game. She's been on three, I think, or she had been at that point. And I was like, even, and but she's also done other nose work sports yeah. with like the dogs she that she has. she knows how to read a dog. Right. And so I'm like, that is better than nothing. Mm-hmm. Don't leave this guy hanging. If somebody can cover this track, please go cover this track. Yeah. What people don't realize about it is that it's, physically grueling yeah i think and i had this in my head too when people imagine because when we see deer they're out in the open mm-hmm. when we witness deer existing in the world they're in a cornfield they're in the bean field they're picking they're hanging out they're on the road when a deer is wounded, they do not pick the path of least resistance. No. They fucking go. They haul yeah. ass. And they're huge. So they can run through shit that is yep. hard to run through. Uh, and their adrenaline is kicking. more than one night. Like, oh my god, that cold. picture. We should put that as the picture of this, this the, like, the main picture for this episode. Yeah. With the cold. Wasn't that your first official track? Yeah. And, and then, you were like, oh man. And then my you second just official your head. track. Was the same thing, like hours, just burrs, burrs, like burrs, burdock. like the big, big round, like when you picture a burr, yeah, the big round pom pom looking pointy ass, yeah. pokey ass bitches, like, all wrapped up, like matted. It was matted, matted. I couldn't even take my ponytail out. I had to cut my ponytail oh to like get God. it out of my hair, and yeah. then I spent hours with the little like jar of like argon oil mm. and a comb just like brushing burdock lay down um like burdock after burdock and like they like it was yeah the big poofy kind and then like another one where like if you brushed it or like tried to pull it out it just like broke mm-hmm. and so yeah. then you had a bunch of tiny pieces in your hair yeah that took me nine million years and then the next track i did I got to do it all over again. <laughs> I stopped even wearing stocking caps in the oh, cold, yeah. like when in the later season when it was cold because they just get pulled off your head. Yeah. And your and your forearms get all scraped up. Mhm. And you have to in Minnesota and Wisconsin you are legally required to track your dog with your dog on a lead. Yep. And neither of our dogs are the most methodical. Yours is more than mine. My but last year he was not no. he like ripped through it so like i'm like running behind yeah. him like there's no so slow and methodical with either of her so dogs on top of it being burrs and buckthorn a lot of it is swamps cattails uh really like lumpy ground that you roll your ankles on mm-hmm. or tall grasses that you wrap your feet up in yeah and or like one of them in Wisconsin was, like, a bunch of, like, a tornado oh, went through it. Yep. So, like, there's no actual, like, no. decent path. And, no. like, this blood trail was, like, under, over, under, over, like, yep. through all this stuff. It yep. took 
I don't know, like, yep. years to go, like, 200 <laughs> yards, it felt like, because yep. you just had to, like, I was on scurry one, over something and then duck under another thing. I was on one that the walk in was worse than the track itself. That was mm-hmm. one you were supposed to come with me on, and I, w- and I don't remember why you couldn't, but I wish you had, because we found it, and I wanted you to run Archer on it, but mm-hmm. I was walking in mid-calf level water and Bauer was pulling me I had him on a six foot leash I walk Bauer in on a six foot leash switch him to our our 30 foot when we're actually on the line and he was pulling me off because he was swimming like calf mid-calf water for him is swimming height and it was cold Mm -hmm. it was October and so he's trying to pull me off I'm trying to stay on course I'm covered in mud. Like, it's physically grueling. Yeah. And on top of all that, you're out there for possibly four to five hours. Yeah. I like, think- there are definitely times where I should have pulled out earlier than I did. But it is not uncommon to be in a track Mm-mm. for two to four hours. Yeah. And so it's physically grueling. On top of that, it's mentally grueling because you are watching your dog. You have no fucking idea when you get out there. Like, that's the difference between, like, when we were doing our practice tracks, you and I didn't lay, you and I didn't lay any blind tracks for each mm-hmm. other. You laid blind, blind tracks with David. Yeah, one day, blind track with David. But we didn't lay any blind tracks, and I wasn't too worried about it because we were training for the UBT, and I at least had... 23 blind tracks under my belt because I tracked all last season yeah so I wasn't too worried about it but we didn't lay any blind tracks for each other so when the UBT test came up it had been months since I had been on a blind track and when I got out there I was like oh fuck I forgot how fucking hard it is when you don't actually know where the line is and there's somebody behind you with expectations yeah and so you're reading your dog and you know in the back of your head trust your dog but also sometimes you look at more information like the terrain. You hear from the hunter, oh, I don't think he went that way. And you have to sort through all of these pieces of information. Mm-hmm. Sometimes or you have you... a live animal run across your track. Yep. And then like you're like, okay, are you tracking this or are you actually tracking what yep. you're supposed to be tracking? And I've had like for a while last season as a rule, or I felt like it was as a rule, if Bauer is open on a track, we are not tracking deer. Mm-hmm. Open meaning he's vocal. But if... Then I had a couple where he was open and we found a deer. Yeah. And so I'm like, hold on a minute. (laughs) Wait a minute. So now it's no longer a rule that if he's open, we're not tracking deer. So now what the fuck do I do the next time he's open? And so you have plenty of times where you run a line and all of a sudden you look at your dog and you're like man, you look like you're thinking, but you're not on it. Yeah. And you have to start over again. And every single time you tell the hunter, take me back to last blood, there's a little piece of you that's like, fuck, dude, I'm sorry. And you Mm -hmm. lose, like, not that you do, but you feel the pressure of, am I losing credibility here? Yeah. Is this guy starting to get nervous that I'm not going to do the job right? Yeah. Well, because they, like, you talk to most hunters and, like, oh, like, that deer is dead. For Mm -hmm. sure, like... They're hopelessly optimistic. Yeah. And 
and when they're, this is the other piece that we didn't talk about when we were talking about how challenging bow hunting is just in general and how taking a, a bad shot can happen. The adrenaline you feel. I've never experienced it, but I can imagine it. When you pull your, your bow back and you take a shot, all of the feelings of like, holy shit, there they are. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to take the, Like, that's the one I want. The, the shot's ready. Here we go. This is happening. Yeah. All that adrenaline, the story gets mixed up. Well, and... And you have like an hour to th- 12 hours until I show up. Yeah. An hour. I've never taken an hour long track. 12 hours sitting around, stewing over that last image in your head of shooting that deer. The story gets mixed up. And so you get out there with the hunter. They have this, like, hopelessly optimistic. It shouldn't, it's not always hopeless. But this optimistic story of what happened. And you want to believe them. Mm-hmm. But you know that they, whether they're, they're lying to cover their asses because they did grid search it until they called you. And then they found out after the fact that they shouldn't have. Or they're lying because they're embarrassed a lot of hunters are embarrassed. I will say, like, like if my dad ever had to call in a tracker, like yep. he'd feel crummy because it's it's a most hunters who were you know raised up by their dads and their grandpas and their uncles and everybody, they all ingrained the good hunters know. You don't pull the trigger early. Yeah. You you take that good shot. That is that is the right thing to do. That's the ethical, respectful thing to do if you're going to shoot an animal. You put work into that, and you you work hard to make sure that that animal mm-hmm. dies. Yeah. Quickly. Yeah. And so there's that piece of it, but then there's also just like a little bit of ego on there of like I mm-hmm. we checked for that one guy that you came with me. Remember that super rich guy? Oh yeah. And he was like, I've been, I've been hunting for, I don't know what he said, 30-some years, and I've never missed. Mm-hmm. And we're like, we get it. We don't care. We're just yeah. here to find the deer. So, but they, they're embarrassed, so sometimes they lie to cover their butts because they're embarrassed. Sometimes they lie unknowingly because the, the story is mixed up in their head. Yeah. And so you're processing all this information that they gave you. And especially for someone like me who's never been a hunter, I don't really know. You know, like, I'm trying to sort through it, too. And so there's a mental aspect to it. It's it's troubleshooting and problem solving for four hours straight. Mm-hmm. And then there's the emotional piece. Yeah. And you have a whole nother being, like, who, like, I was on one track that, like, Archer just didn't want to. Yeah. And, like, I was told the track wasn't grid searched, but the yep. way that he was reacting... Archer was reacting. Yeah. Yep. Like, the way that Archer was reacting to the track, and, like, I know my dog well. Like, he wasn't clicking yep. in. He wasn't tracking. He was just kind of, like, meandering through. He was just out for a stroll. Yeah, out for a stroll, kind of meandering through um, the cornfield that the blood trail was in, and he was just, like, not clicking in. We made it, like, through their last blood and, like, to the woods line. Yep. And he was just, like... Looking up trees, trying yep. to find something more interesting. And I'm like, I There's, can't force him to work right. harder. Like, he's right. He's checked out whether this truly was grid searched or... The deer's just not dead. The deer's just not dead. Like, Okay, I have to pee again. <laughs> we ended on the deer's just not dead and I have a tangent about that. I'll be right back.
You are, like, three seltzers, and you're... Two and a half, actually. Um, Vicky, get down. Okay, so sometimes the deer's just not dead. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't die eventually. But sometimes, I mean, I've seen some crazy-ass fucking pictures of deer with bows, (laughs) arrows, halfway through their shoulder... Mm-hmm. sticking out and they're still out there fighting and mating and having a grand time so at a certain point if you are a deer and you are no longer fatally wounded mm-hmm. event i mean we've all experienced stress we all can kind of imagine the like running for your life scenario whether we've had to do it or not but at a certain point you're no longer running for your life at a certain point you know you're no longer in danger and i don't know this the true science between w- behind when does the interdigital gland stop secreting that specific scent like when does the body stop but i would imagine just knowing what i know about stress and hormones that when that interdig or when that when the adrenaline and cortisol starts to regulate back to normal of okay i no longer have to run for my life i'm no longer dying right now whether i die later isn't the point but right now i'm not running for my life I would imagine that's tied together with that interdigital gland scent. And I have had Bauer track and pick up his nose and go, it's not dead. There's just no more specific scent. Now it just smells like any other deer. My suspicion coming from like the nerdy science aspect of it. My suspicion would be when like the sympathetic parasympathetic. Yeah. Like regulation stops. Yep. Uh, or like switches and yep. they go from like fight or flight yep. to like I'm okay, a normal deer again. Something stressful happened. Yeah, and I'm just gonna roll with my it. My suspicion um would be that that pheromone is connected to a fight or flight response and yep. once they're through that fight or flight response response. Yep. It's done. And that could be six hundred yards, <clears throat> that could be a mile and a half. Mm-hmm. And it kinda just depends the other thing that I, going back to the mental aspect of it, when you're new to it, and I don't know when this turns off. I don't know when new turns off. We'll see how I feel next, this year. Yeah. Last year, I would have tracks like my four, just, you know, pulling numbers out of my butt, but say my 20th track brings something up that happened in my third track. Mm-hmm. That reminded me of that, and I learned the question that I had on my third track was answered on my twentieth track. Yeah, in that, but that third track sat with me for so long that when it happened again, I went, "Holy shit, that's that." Mm-hmm. And one of those moments was my very last track of the season last year, when I saw an alive, fatally wounded deer. And it was running from me while I was tracking it. And I realized at a certain point, we needed to stop that track. Like, we needed to back up and think about what we were doing. Like, the, we, were just, we were just going, and we needed to stop. And there was a moment where I was standing on the top of Biggie. <laughs> what are you doing? Come here. Lay down. Hi, buddy. Lay down. Whoa. He was sniffing that. Coyote, lay down. Lay down. 
There was a moment where we needed to back out and I was standing at the top of a hill with Bauer and Bauer is open on site when he is chasing something. So he was screaming because we were chasing an alive, almost dead deer. And the deer had, it was a pile, it was a logging road and there was a pile of logs, big pile of logs between me and Bauer and that, that buck. And when he got that behind him, he slowed down and he actually laid down. Like at that point he was very close to dying mm-hmm. and he laid down and he stayed there and Bauer was screaming the whole time, but Bauer wasn't, Bauer and I were not gaining ground on him. And in that moment, the deer was like, I'm safe. Yeah. I can lay down here. And he stayed there for a really long time because nobody was chasing him. And so that was just like a window into the thought process of what it's like to be fleeing for your life of if nobody is chasing me, things change. I'm no longer running for my life. And it's just like all these little pieces that come together and give you like a a different scene that you were missing from that, that was windy missing from that last track, whatever, you learn more about it. So at a certain point, the deer is no longer feeling the fear of being pursued. Or is it just that fatigued that it's not being pursued so it lays down? Well, all of it. I mean, that doesn't really matter, but to the point that I'm making that at a certain point, that guard drops. At, At some point, you go from, I'm fleeing for my life to, I'm okay. Or I'm okay enough for right now. And then also your body fails you while you were there. But so there are plenty of times where I've been on a track. And the other lesson that I learned, again, it was probably like my, fuck, it was probably, it probably was my like 20th track. I'm trying to think of this, this one, but I had, I was driving home from this track and I had tracked for this guy's dad before. And they did everything right, as far as I knew. I went out there. Bar ran the line from last blood, well, uh, from hit site to last blood, perfectly. We got to this area where they mark last blood. I can still see it. If you brought me back there again, I would be like, I've been here before. We get to this area, and Bauer just stops tracking. And you can tell that he, like, wants to. So mm-hmm. it's different than the times where he's like, I don't care. Yeah. The deer's not dead. He wanted to, but he couldn't narrow down a path. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what the fuck? I don't understand how my dog runs, hits sight to last blood perfectly, and then just quits. And I'm in my car, and I'm driving home, and I'm thinking about this. And I was like, motherfucker. They fucking grid searched it and fucking lied to me. They told me they did it and they did. Mm-hmm. And in their brain, they probably didn't do like a ton of grid searching. Yeah. That's... Like they just grid searched that little area. But they grid searched it and they didn't tell me. And now I'm excited to go into next, this season yeah. and be like, my dog's acting weird. Did you grid search this? Yeah. <laughs> just no, that's, tell me. That's kind of exactly like when Archer was like tracking through that cornfield and just like he wanted to work but you could tell he was just like what the fuck is this picture right like because and like 
the path that the deer took through the field yeah wasn't linear right so i'm like okay and it was like later and like after talking to like a few people about it it was like Okay, the only way that they logically found this spot of blood, that spot of blood, that spot of blood, right. that and spot you're of like, blood oh, is if fuck. And like they may not have like researched Insten- extensively. Extensively, but they like they were stepped on it and then they stepped here and they stepped there yeah. and now my dog's fucked. Yeah. Like and then by the time like I don't know, it was probably like 60 yards through the cornfield. Sure. But by that point like he was just like I'm not working. I'm so confused. I don't care. Yeah, I'm so confused. And, like, and I, like, he worked the tree line. But, and, like, the amount of blood that was in the field, like, I'm pretty sure, like, shoulder shot, like, absolutely non-fatal. And by the time the deer got to the tree line, he was fine. Because they said he just kind of, like, meandered off and, like, walked away. And, like, after, like, talking to, like, David and stuff, I'm like... Doesn't well, that like was just, dip. like, a shit, shit storm all the way so, around. But that's, like, that's, so to go back again to the mental piece. So we have physical piece. It's physically hard. It's mentally hard because you're problem solving the entire time. Yeah. And it's emotionally hard because you're putting that responsibility on your shoulders. Yeah. And we get invested. Like, I will never say that I am as invested as a hunter. No. Because I don't know what it's like to sit every single night. No. But it's a pretty darn good feeling when your dog finds a deer oh for sure but like when my dog doesn't find a deer Mm -hmm. or and I and you walk away from that situation again I still don't think that we have ever left a dead deer in the field yeah I had one always that question there was and when you're in it when you're in tracking season Mm -hmm. and it's all you think about yep it hits you hard yeah. So there's an emotional piece to it. You eventually have to turn to somebody and say, there is a chance that you killed an animal and it is going to go to waste. Mm-hmm. There's a chance that everything that you have ever, like everything your dad and your grandpa and your uncles and your cousins have ever practiced and cared about, you fucked it up. Yeah. And there is an animal out there suffering because of you. Yeah. And on the same thread... There's an animal out there possibly suffering because of me and my dog. Yeah. And if there, and most hunters, I think most hunters that call in a dog and are willing to make themselves vulnerable in order to find the deer are the ethical kind. Oh, yeah. I have never taken a track for somebody that I didn't think was absolutely devastated Mm -hmm. to be in that situation. Yeah. I have been on tracks where we don't even talk because they just can't. Yeah. They cannot handle the fact that they are in this situation. No. Like And they're not like, you know. They're not distraught, but they're like they're They upset. will remember that deer yeah, for the rest for of their lives. For a very long time. Like I mean, anytime like talking to my dad, my brother, my uncles, cousins, like if they lose a deer, like it sticks with them. Like yep. my brother lost a deer last year and like it's not something we we're allowed talk to it. talk about. Like and, and like it's, and if especially if you're coming in as somebody who doesn't understand that lifestyle like me, there's just a learning curve of like how to appreciate and how to show respect. Yeah. How to be like that's the biggest thing when I'm talking to people that are like, I want to get into tracking. How do I do this? Like, let me talk to you about the etiquette side of it. 
Mm-hmm. Like well, and how, just, like and it was like a little of deer hunting. And yeah, but there like were that. like there were two pieces like etiquette wise that I learned last year that I kicked myself over, and one of them, and they're kind of silly, you know. Like they, could, I think in general because I've worked so long in customer service, and my mom also just beat manners into my skull as a child. I I don't I I'm an easy person to be around. I am a polite person. I am a respectful person. But there were two tiny little things that stuck out with me last year that I need to be aware of and be better about. The first is when you find the deer, congratulate the hunter. Yeah. It's easy to feel like you are out there for you and your dog because I do take it personally. Like it Mm -hmm. is important to me that we find that deer. I am as invested in this search as the hunter is. And if I'm not, I shouldn't be tracking. Yeah. But there's a part of me that's like, me and my dog are on this quest and forget a little bit about the hunter. And I had a moment, the first buck I ever found with Bauer was, I had never found a buck. I've never been that close to a buck before because I'm not a deer hunter. And I was just so in awe of the whole situation. And it wasn't, it was again, the guy who I just mentioned, I had tracked for him. I tracked for his son. But in between those two events, I tracked for his friend, and he came along with. And I also found out on that track, there's a sidestep to the emotional piece. We'll come back to it. His fucking deer was alive. (laughs) And he told me that when I tracked for his buddy. And I'm like, why didn't you text me as soon as you found out? But we'll talk about that in a second. So anyways, I was excited. I was like, holy shit, look at this animal. Like, this is so cool that we did this. And his buddy the guy that I knew, reached out, shook his friend's hand and said, congratulations. And I went, oh my God, congratulations on your buck. But I'm not a hunter, so I don't perceive it that way. You know, like I don't perceive like you worked really hard. You put a lot of effort into this. This is something that you've been practicing for your entire life and you harvested a magnificent animal. And I just don't like, like I get hunting. Yeah. But I don't appreciate it in the same way. And so... And that has, I'm going to (laughs) cry, that has changed since tracking. But I've been around hunters my whole life. Like my my dad's both casually hunted. I used to walk cornfields and flush pheasants for my dad all the time. But there's something different about being in this situation that, Mm -hmm. that brings something different to it. But anyways, so congratulating the hunter. That should be within the first 15 words. So that was one. The other was... And this one's just silly. And I didn't, I caught it pretty quick. I'm used to a service where if you need me, I'm here is mm-hmm. normal. Yeah. If you need me, I'm here. This service is you don't want to need me. Yeah. I'm not used to that. So it took me a while to like, well, if you need me again. <laughs> and it's like, wait, no, 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 no. They don't want to hear that. Nope. Especially because majority of the times I said that, we didn't find their fucking deer. <laughs> so I don't want to, like, beat a dead horse of, like, well, you fucked that one up. If you fuck it up again, here's my phone number. So then you just, you do what you can. And, you know, everybody's got their own little style to it. But yeah. I'll throw a little bit of humor on it just to try to ease it up. Because by yeah. that point, they're tired. Mm-hmm. They lost sleep over it the night before. 
They've been in the woods with you for four hours and they don't have the, most of the time I stuck with it longer than the hunter did. Yeah. At that point they were like, you know, we've been out here. We did our solid effort. They're not enjoying it as much as I am because they're stressed. Yeah. I'm watching my dog work and having a blast. You know, mm-hmm. like, I'm like, fuck, this is a mystery. Let's fucking fo- solve this yeah. mystery. Well, and they're also not invested in the dog. They're invested in trying to find the in deer. In the deer. Yeah. And, and, and the closure that it provides for them. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's like, well, I hope you never need me, but if you do where your buddy does, here I am. You know, yeah. you got my number, whatever. So, um, those are two little pieces of the etiquette piece. Yeah. That, and just like the, the information gathering, like you need to learn that piece of it. Mm-hmm. Someone needs to like show you what that looks like. There's a couple people that we know that have started training for tracking that I'm like, please. And I think they would, but like, please come with me. Yeah. So you can see what it's like to interact with these people. Well, and just, yeah, like learning the lingo mm-hmm. and like. Being able to talk to hunters so that, like, even if you don't know anything, you know enough yeah, to make yourself not sound like... You have no idea what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, I was open with people. I would tell people, like, I'm not a hunter myself. Like, you're yeah. out there in the, with, in the woods with these people for four hours. Yeah. You say shit. <laughs> you know, like, you say mm-hmm. things. You can't go, you can't fake it for four hours. No. But, so all these guys know I'm not a hunter. And... And most of the time, people want to make small talk with you. So yeah. it comes up, how did you get into this? I didn't even know this was a thing. Yeah. What kind of dog is that? Well, and Whatever. I say, a lot of, like, super avid hunters yeah. also don't want to be out tracking for other people. No. Because they're in the woods themselves hunting. Right. So it's not that, like, I think they're thrown off if you're not a hunter yourself. Mm-mm. But coming about it, or yeah. coming at it. You don't it, want to come in and be, like, totally clueless. Yeah. You definitely, and the biggest thing is you could have no idea what questions to ask. Like, I don't really know. The other day there was a conversation in the tracking chit chat about mechanical versus fixed blades. I don't fucking know. I don't fucking care. I don't pay attention to those stats because if somebody tells me that information goes one in in one ear and out the other, I've never had to choose one. Mm -hmm. I've never had to pull a a bow back. I have no idea if that's even the right way to say that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, in all honesty, like, I know not tons of that information, but, like, a little bit more. I have enough information to just, like, like, I have heard that word before. Yeah. (laughs) I'm more, where'd you hit it? What did the deer look like when it, like, went off? Mm -hmm. Like, hit sight, last blood, like, give me the basics. I am a dog person. (laughs) And in all honesty, like, I mean... Talking with, like, bow hunters, you may think you hit it, like, mm-hmm. right in the sweet spot, but I've talked well, to... they all think they, they hit it in the sweet, sweet spot. But, like, sure, I've I would not be here. talked to plenty of hunters where even when they're target shooting, like, there's yeah. none of the added adrenaline, they draw back and they hold, yep. and they can feel their own heartbeat just yep. tick it yep. just enough. And on a live deer that's also moving... Yeah. That can be just enough movement. And the fucking wind. Yeah. <laughs> that was the other thing I was going to say back. I forgot I was going to mention that when you're back on the mental piece. is like, I need, I know, and this will kind of answer one of the questions that you have written down too. Um, talking about gear. Mm. One of the things I need in my back pocket, not physically, but metaphorically. Well, it's a physical thing, but it's not going to be physically in my back pocket. <laughs> One of those little puffy air oh, things. Oh, yeah. 
I don't have the skill because I've never needed it to know which direction is the wind blowing. No. Kyle has that skill because he's a hunter. Yep. He understands scent in the context of hunting. Bird dog work relies a lot on the wind. Mm-hmm. I don't know how. I don't yeah. apply that in like it's not like a like a like I have to go oh wind <laughs> like, you know like it doesn't just come naturally to me to consider like where the wind is and which direction is and Bauer has run lines parallel hundreds of yards away mm-hmm. because the wind has picked that scent up and moved it yeah and there and- have been times where I've walked into certain types of terrain like really tall CRP grass and Bauer can't track. Because he's on the wrong line, Mm -hmm. and he's smelling little, tiny bits and pieces. And I know the difference between Bauer, like, I'm fucking on the line, and I'm fucking moving. Yep. And Bauer's like, I am by smells. (laughs) You know, like, I am It's somewhere in this area. Let's just keep going this way and see what we find. And so, like, I know what that looks like versus, like, I'm fucking on it, let's rip. Mm-hmm. And when we're in CRP grass, the, the scent doesn't travel in the same way. There's also, like, you know, stats where people will look up what the fucking thermals are doing. I don't even mm-hmm. know what thermals are. I don't know. <laughs> Earlier, uh, when we did our UBT test this a couple weeks ago, and guys were, you know, you just share your stories. And they say things like thermals coming up from the swamp. And I was like, oh. I get it now. I understand what thermals are. <laughs> like, yeah. all of a sudden, like, oh, okay, I get it. But there's so many things that go into how scent works. Mm-hmm. I have been in situations where I'm in, like, a low spot, and I'm like, oh, the scent is swirling. You know, like, I can, like, kind of, but yeah. I'm piecing together things that I've heard other people say, mm-hmm. and I'm putting it in a moment right now when I need it. Yeah. And so there's a mental piece of it of like, I don't actually know what I'm doing, but I'm trusting my dog. Yeah. And well, that's the part, that's the mental piece that makes it really fucking hard is your yeah. problem sh- solving in the moment. Mm-hmm. Like, why is my dog acting fucking weird? Or like one time I was on a track where we were in, um, we were in reeds, not yeah. cattails, reeds. Those are different in my brain. I don't know if they are in other people's brains. And all of a sudden the blood that we found was like paint brushed up on the top of these reeds and there was no wound bed there was no other blood anywhere around there wasn't even a fucking tra- like trail deer trail and we were like how the fuck did this bitch get blood on the top of these fucking reeds and i'm like is she jumping like what is going on and so you're trying to piece all these things together mm-hmm. and hunters are giving you like well here's what i think and you're trying to look it around and try to figure it all it's all a giant mystery, which is why it's so addicting. Yeah. But it's hard. It's so hard. I have never slept as hard as I fucking sleep <laughs> during tracking season. And then back to the... So we were tying... We were coming back around to the emotional piece before I went to the bathroom. And I have no fucking idea what I was talking about. The emotional piece of the deer's not dead, I think, is yes. where we ended. Where at a certain point, you have to turn around and you have to face somebody who is responsible yeah. for this and say, my dog's done. Yeah. Or, like, for me, it's the dreaded text of, oh, we, we found, found a deer. Yep. Um, I, had I haven't one. gotten that text yet, but definitely, like... If- I had one. Let me tell that story. 
because it it was like the everybody has received like bad news where they just completely shut down it was that and this track was already a hard one to begin with because the guy he was a good guy and it, he didn't I mean he was not unkind to me in any way but there was definitely a moment where I lost his not respect but I lost credibility in his eyes mm -hmm. where he was not ready to be done when I was telling him it is time to be done. Yeah. So what happened was this was actually in Blaine in a metro area, which doesn't happen very often. And it was like this tiny little piece of public land that this guy had, like him and one other guy had permission to hunt on. And it was a really short distance shot, which means he shot from high up, and that's the other thing, like, when you're picturing, like, some of this information you do need to know, like, how far away was the deer? How was yeah. he, you know, was he quartering away, quartering two? Like, these are all, like, terms that I needed to learn on the fly. And I also think it's important to note, just quick little side tangent, I never got into tracking thinking I was going to be tracking. It was Kyle's thing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's part of the reason why, like, all of this information happened to me on the fly what happened was I took a track for the neighbor's friend here at the farm. Kyle was at work. The neighbor called him and said, hey, my buddy shot a deer, a buck on. He shot it on my property and tracked it onto yours. When he called to say, hey, we need to get permission to go track this deer onto this your neighbor's property. Then our neighbor was like, oh, they have a deer tracking dog. Call them. Kyle was like, I'm at work. I can't do it. Called me and said, bring Bauer out and do this track. And I said, nope. We will wait till you get home. And he said, no, you know how to do it. And I said, no, I do not. And he said, you know your dog, you know the land, go. And I went, and the rest was history. So I went into it not thinking that I was going to do it at all. Yeah. Kyle tracked all 2020, and I went on a couple with him. Um, but I was just along for the ride. I was well, just like, whoop You said the ones that you went on, you didn't We didn't find anything. anything. And I was just like, la-dee-da, like walking through the woods, you know, like this is cool. And I remember thinking like the hunters would, would spot blood and be like, oh, I got blood here. And I'd be like, what the fuck? How did you see that? <laughs> like, they're behind me. And I'm like, how did you fucking see that? Now I can spot blood instantly. I see yeah. blood, blood. I've even had moments, again, speaking to the mental and emotional piece to it. I've had moments where I'm walking back here on the farm with my dogs, not tracking, just out for a walk, mm -hmm. and I'm scanning the ground for blood. Yep. And I go, no, no, no. We don't want to see blood in this context. <clears throat> or one time, I there was like a little smear of a strawberry on my kitchen counter. And I was like, <laughs> <gasps> blood! And I went, wait a minute! No, we don't want to see blood here. Way out of context. So, anyways. Um, fuck, what the fuck was I talking about? Emotional... Getting, oh, I was talking oh, about the, the track. Yeah, the okay. track where you got the text. So it was a very short range shot, which means he was up in a tree stand. He shot pretty, pretty damn vertical down this deer's body. And he was like, the deer is dead. I know the deer is dead. The story he had put together in his head from the information he had, the deer ran in the direction of the road. It was a fairly busy road. He heard a large truck slam on its brakes. 
and he thought the deer went over there. On the other side of the road from where he shot the deer, which was maybe 200 yards. I'm bad at guessing I'm distances. <laughs> I rely heavily on my Onyx for how, yes. many, how long have I gone? So from hit site to the road was not that far. He thought the deer crossed the road. There was a there was a lot of like CRP grass and um, cattails, which looks like a bedding area. Mm-hmm. Whether it's used for one or not, that's different. But it looks like yeah, that looks like where deer probably sleep. And then if that's the case, that's where a deer is gonna go to die. If they're yeah. fatally wounded and they're scared, they're gonna run home. So, and that's again another piece that you need to know. Yes. So what do deer do when they're wounded? So I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, the deer's right over there. Like, I bet he just crossed the road. He's a couple, you know, 100, 200 yards in. Boom, we're going to find him. So we go over there. We Bowers, like, nod into it. Well, while we were headed in that direction, Jamie was with me. I was trying to remember who was with me. It was Jamie. When we get to the, like, the ditch and then the road, at the top of the hill before it's the ditch, there was a very tiny speck of blood. So we had confirmation that the deer at least was in that area. But Bauer two times, we had to go, we were in that general area. Bauer two times, just very casually, very curiously, air scented in, a, in the other direction on the same side of the road. But the hunter said he thinks he ran across, so let's go. So we go across, pavement's hard to track over, so we get over there, we kind of walk the ditch. Like, okay, where did he cut in? And we assume straight line. Most of the time, they stay to a pretty predictable path. So we're walking along. We get in there. We're running across backyards in this, you know, we searched this CRP and cattail area for probably an hour. Just came out and tried again and came in different entry points, walked the ditch again, tried to see where he cut in. Like, maybe he ran down the side of it a little bit and then cut in all through this area. And I finally said... All right. When I've come across deer on roads, a lot of times they turn around and run back. Mm-hmm. Especially, like, if there was a truck coming. Yep. Truck, like, blared its horn. You don't know the like, timing. Yeah. You don't know. Was he already in the road when yeah. the truck got there? Was he on the other side of the road when the or truck got he, there? Like, up in the Or ditch? was he about to cross the road? Mm-hmm. And if he was about to cross the road and the truck showed up, he's going to turn around and yeah, go the other so way. push him back. That image in my head, along with the fact that Bauer very just casually, curiously Mm air-scented, I said, let's just try it. Yeah. And we go back, and sure enough, after a fucking just ridiculous, I wish I still had that map. I probably do somewhere in my Onyx. We finally found tiny, tiny specks of blood on that side of the road couple hundred yards away enough to say for sure the deer did not cross the road yeah while we're doing that though we're in this little area again i'll never forget what it looked like we're in this little area we're kind of bordered by cattails and something gets up we hear it rustle through the cattails and that's it just like boom up nothing else and we're like what the fuck is that and the hunter was somewhere else looking for blood And we called him back and we were like, we heard something get up. He goes in and looks, didn't really find much. And he said to me, if it was a deer, 
it would have been louder. Then, on my last track, where I was tracking a deer that was dying in front of my eyes, and I watched that deer get up, if I hadn't seen that deer with my own eyes, I wouldn't mm-hmm. have known it was there. And this was a fucking t- massive 10-point deer. Yeah. If I would have, if, if I did not know that deer was right there when it got up, mm-hmm. I would have not heard it. Oh, I don't know how many times I've, like, kicked up deer in the woods where I'm like, oh, I don't know where you I've been, been on tracks right there. between this track that I'm telling the story of and the track that, my last track of the season where I was been tracking that mostly alive deer. There was another track where somebody, the hunter, somebody, the hunter saw another buck get up. And he was like, I know that's not my buck. Like, I know what my buck looks like. That's not my buck. And I said, we're fucking checking it anyways. But I didn't know it was there. He happened to see it. So anyways, mm-hmm. now I've learned that lesson that it just because it gets up or just because you don't hear it doesn't mean it wasn't something. Yeah. But we didn't find anything when we went in. Well, he went in and he didn't find anything. But again... I do this all the time. He does not. Yeah. That's the reason why I'm here. We go and whatever. We don't find the deer. Mm-hmm. We're four hours in and I say, we've been wa- it's a goose chase. Yeah. I cannot. We, we found blood. We know that it didn't cross the road. We found blood over here. I think that was a Sunday. I can't remember. A couple days later, four maybe, I get a text message. He found it. It was 70 yards across the road, 70 yards from where we walked in to that CRP field. Dead. Done. Rotted. Can't use it. Yeah. Of course, my mind starts racing. 70 fucking yards and my dog didn't find it. And, you know, rational thoughts telling me, well, wind and whatever, all these other scenting conditions. There's tons of reasons why your dog wouldn't be able to smell something 70 yards away. Mm Mm-hmm. But I'm like, my dog fucking finds deer. Yeah. There's no fucking way we miss that deer. And we had blood on the other side of the road. But that's not what I'm thinking in that moment when I get that text message. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking I fucked up. I fucked up and I wasted this deer. Yeah. He was the one. Well, and I sent the group chat a message and they're telling me, you know, it's, you know, it's okay. You're, you know, this stuff kind of happens, whatever. And somebody suggested... Could he have moved after you tracked it? Mm-hmm. Tracked it? Tracked it. The hunter was the one that said, maybe it was that deer that got up. So while we are tracking the thing that got up in the cattails, I am convinced that that was that deer. He was still alive. He made it to the other side of the road and laid down again. Mm-hmm. While he was laying there resting, he died. And we never had a reason to think, let's go back across the road and look. Mm-hmm. But I will never forget that fucking track. Well, and if he track. was laying down, he got up, he may not have been secreting, like, the fatally wounded pheromones anymore. Yeah, and I, what I don't remember is how long it was. It was definitely the night before. Yeah. But I don't remember how long it had been. I don't remember. I do know that it was at least a lung hit. Because mm-hmm. he was so close, and he said he he basically went straight down past his spine yeah. into the but if like center the wound, body, like if the wound clots, they stop bleeding. Like yep. yes, it could still be technically fl- fatally wounded and dying. Right, but is it like like sympathetic parasympathetically? Right. Does the body yeah. consider it? I'm dying. Run for yeah. my life. Yeah. So 
these are all the pieces that, like, the, the game itself will weed people out. You either can't keep up physically, it's mm-hmm. too fucking hard and you can't do it. Yeah. Or you can't keep up mentally and emotionally because it's too fucking hard and you can't do it. Yeah. But these are the things that I don't think people really think about. Yeah. When they, when people come to me, there's a difference between, like, I've got people who are deer hunters that have a dog that -hmm. are like, sweet, I could train my dog how to do it. So in the off chance that I need a dog, I can do it. Yeah. In the off chance that my buddies need a dog, I can do it. But then there's people that are, like, dog people, and they're like, I just like doing cool shit with my dog. Mm -hmm. And that seems like cool shit. Yeah. And I go, it is cool shit. It's really fucking cool, and I really, really fucking enjoy it. Or there's, like, me where... I don't have time to invest in bow hunting, mm-hmm. but I grew up in a hunting family. I mm-hmm. still want to be a part of that community, and this is how I get to be involved in the community. Right. So, but I get a lot of people that are coming in from the dog aspect. Yeah. And there are maybe 20% of those people who have what it takes to actually do it. Yeah. And I don't tell them no you can't I would love to teach you how Mm -hmm. I would love more people to be doing it because we need more trackers and we need more trackers who are not hunters yes we need people who have the skill set to do it but are not going to be taking you know picking and choosing between do I go out and hunt myself or do I go out and track for somebody else Mm -hmm. because it's the same season yeah (laughs) you know it's the same group of people so we do need that. So I will not tell people don't do it. No. But the thing is that most people I can usually tell in the conversations that I'm having don't understand how much goes actually into it. Yeah. And you cannot, you cannot go out there with the attitude of this is just for fun for me and my dog. No. Because well, somebody get- else and another animal's life is depending on you. Yeah. And you can't get like bored halfway through the through a track and be like right oh sorry like this isn't fun anymore like right especially because like it's so new in minnesota still like yep it's so, like trackers would lose credibility so fast so that brings up what is minnesota tracking dogs so minnesota tracking dogs is a bunch of independent trackers in a network mm-hmm. we are not a club though i think we should head in that direction we are not working for the group of oh Kyle's here, um, or we are not working for Minnesota tracking dogs. Like we yeah. are our own individuals, but we are just a group of people. We all do the same thing, and we share information. Mm-hmm. So when a hunter comes in and says, so there's a Facebook group. When a hunter comes in and says, "I'm in this location. I need a tracker." The network will discuss and we'll get a tracker out there. Yeah. But it's growing in popularity enough that we need to have some kind of way for people to filter through, for hunters to filter through, who has been doing this for a while, who mm-hmm. has real experience and recoveries under their belt, and who just showed up. Yeah. And who who doesn't really have a lot of experience yet. Yeah. Because there's no rules that say what makes a tracking dog and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. Joe Schmo down the road with their black lab could say, oh, I'm a tracker. Yeah. yeah, I'm a tracker. I've been deer hunting my whole life, and this dog has a nose. And they go out, and they take $150 of your money, and they, they don't even put the work in. Yeah. Um, And 
so we as a network need to have this way of filtering through who is who and how mm-hmm. to make sure that hunters are getting the right person. Yeah. And we're welcome. We're welcoming to green dogs and green handlers, but we want to at least give the full transparency yeah. of this person doesn't have a lot of experience. So part of the way that our group did that was this UBT event where you come, you test, you pass your UBT, and now when we put to out the list of trackers and their contact information, it will say next to their name, certified, uncertified, tested, untested, whatever. Yeah. And so that's a way for people to kind of filter through. So we're not opposed to more trackers. We want more trackers, but there does need to be some kind of way to say this is a real tracker. Yeah. And this is somebody who we don't know much about yet. Mm-hmm. And... I think people also think that there's money in the game. And there is. There is money. Yes. There's not a lot. No. <laughs> there's not a lot. For for what the work actually is and for the hours that you actually spend out there, you don't make a lot. I make my hourly rate in four rates. As a dog trainer, my hourly rate in four hours. Yeah. Um, but it's very important work to me. And, and so mm-hmm. the value is different. Yeah. So... This year I will be tracking full-time, and I will make money. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some people who take tips only. I personally do have a flat fee and accept tips on top of that. That's just how I have determined is best for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're not going to get, like, you're not going to get rich. You're not going to make, like, significant money doing this. No. no. Between, especially with how gas prices are changing. Oh, yeah. There's, everybody has to drive, for the most part, 10 to 60 minutes to take a track. If you live in the city, you're going to have to drive an hour at least Mm -hmm. to get out of the city and into these trackers er, or these hunters areas. So you're going to pay that much in gas and then you take what they give you. Yeah. And, And I would say, like, the hunters that, like, I tracked for, like were generous yes like they just appreciate like they do whether you, you find you it or taking not taking the time to come out there give it your all yes um like and i will say like most of the guys that i tracked for really did have a genuine appreciation for the effort that i put in the passion i had for it and yeah. the ability that my dog did show mm-hmm. and we definitely had moments where the where the bower was on it Mm-hmm. And the hunters could see, like, oh, shit, look at him go. Like, there he is. He's doing yeah. it. And so, like, we definitely had moments. And it kind of, you get to a point where you feel like you're on this little adventure. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're on this quest together. Yes. And so you, you bond. Yeah. You bond in a way. And so that does, that, you know, that works. Mm-hmm. And they they will pay for that experience yeah. and that that effort. Yeah. But it's, no, it's not big banks. and no. And I know in for sure in Minnesota, we really do not want to see that happen with tracking. No. So if we do get wind of people taking tracks, charging a lot of money for it, and like repeatedly not having a lot of good recoveries or getting bad feedback from hunters, like they mm-hmm. just weren't, not that any hunter is like walking through the woods with you enjoying that experience, Yeah, but like they should feel comfortable yeah being in the woods with you look like you they trust you yep and so if we get feedback that they don't feel that way about the person that came out to find their deer we will 
make note of that. Yeah. And so it's very important as this is becoming more popular, like, are we saying, no, you cannot be a tracker? A tracker? No. No. But we also don't want to say anybody can be a tracker. Yeah. And you cannot be a part of it. But the thing is, there's a difference between, no, you cannot be a tracker, a part of our network. Mm-hmm. And no, you can't be a tracker at all. Yeah. Nobody's saying you can't be a tracker at all. Yeah. Anybody can be a tracker. But we don't want to see you on our list and we don't want to vouch for you mm-hmm. unless we know you're going to do a good well, job. And just like keeping like a certain code of like ethics and morals yes. and stuff. And important. that's something like because again, it's very new. That's something that has been brought up yeah. in this group. Like I'm a, a moderator in this circle now. Mm-hmm. And that is something that has been brought up is, like, we need a code of ethics. Yeah. We need to have, and we need, like, a follow-up system because we need to get reviews, basically, on our trackers. Yeah. We want to make sure that when we're saying, you know, Hannah and Amber can go out and they will, they'll put in good work for you. Like, call them. hmm We don't want to hear Hannah and Amber fucked it up. Yeah. Hannah and Amber came out and... They were just wandering around the woods for four hours and didn't seem like they really cared to be out there and took $150 of our money. Yeah. And we walked away with $150 less and no deer. Yeah. If that happened, our group, our network would be like, hey, you can't be doing that. Yeah. No, I like the idea of, and I mean, I'm in Wisconsin, so I don't know how much... My opinion counts because it counts. <laughs> like, I don't know. The Minnesota like trackers have been like super welcoming, welcoming of me, which I didn't find. Yeah. For the like in the on the Wisconsin side, I'm a part of one of the yeah. Wisconsin tracker groups, but like, and I, that's not to I, say I that they're bad trackers. Like, no. we should make sure in case they're anyone's good. listening, <laughs> they're they're, they're good, good trackers. trackers. Like the ones that I've met, it's are more good competitive trackers. though. It's more competitive. It's in my experience and I don't know if it's because I'm new to it I'm not a hunter yeah like currently myself I'm a woman I have a random ass dog like I don't know what it is but like I could not like grab ground and like make contacts with people I got blown off um even when I like joined the tracking network yeah um in Wisconsin it was kind of like oh, that's nice, like, you have to pay whatever dues I had to pay to be a part of that network. Um, And then I didn't really receive any sort of benefit other than, like... And what the benefit normally should be... maybe two tracks. Yeah, that's what the benefit is. is There's, like, these one or two tracks in in your area. Yeah. Because hunters will contact the network, and then the network would say here's who's in your area, contact this person. Yeah. And so the benefit of being a part of this network is that somebody's vouching for you. Yeah. And, like, David, David Little, is Little Bailey's Game Recovery, I think is what he is on Facebook. And David's a great guy. And he hates it when we say this about him, but we say that he's our, our leader. And he, he is our like leader. That. He doesn't want to be the leader, but he is the leader. He is. Um, there are other people that actually created the network, but David is the leader, yep. <laughs> whether he likes it or not. And David gets a lot of calls. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what his stats actually were, but he gets a lot of calls. And he's been doing this for many years. He's tracked in Wisconsin for a long time before he tracked in Minnesota. He lives in Minnesota, though. And if he cannot make it, he will give tracks away. He is not mm-hmm. territorial. No. He is not stingy with his tracks at all. 
No. He will he will gladly he has sent me messages and said, Hannah, this is a good one for you. Mm-hmm. Go. And so he wants to see other trackers do well because yeah. he recognizes that tracker like we will only be successful if we were successful in numbers. You know, like we need yeah. many, what? many of us and we need to be good. Yeah. And you cannot create a good network when you have shitty people in it. No. And I think like from what I've seen in the Minnesota side, like, I mean, everyone's the group chat, like, during tracking season, I'm never, like, embarrassed or, like, no. questioning. Like, if I have a question, yep. I don't really care. Like, I don't think, like, even if it's a dumb question. Yep. I don't feel dumb asking it. because no. Somebody will answer somebody it. Somebody will answer it. And, like, yeah, maybe somebody will be like, well, why don't you know that? But nobody's going to, like, harshly... At least I've never felt harshly judged um, on the Minnesota side of things when I've, like, there is a Facebook group available for Wisconsin trackers, but, like, nobody, nobody really chit-chats on it about tracks like the way we do. Right, It's, nobody really asks for advice or, like, They're too independent. They're too independent, and I do feel, and maybe it's just, like, I'm, a little salty because like I I tried for several years to like figure out how to get into tracking and like make connections and stuff and it just until I like kind of joined the Minnesota side of things like I didn't really have support or help and like yeah trying to make that next step um so I probably just still a little salty from that yeah but the resources and like the help isn't as same. readily available yep. or there, and it feels more well, that's, egoey on the Wisconsin side versus. But that's the a good side. point to make too about this. Is like when you go out and you're in the woods and you're tracking, you're on your own. Mm-hmm. There's nobody there that knows more than you that's going to help you through it. No, and so you're really there's nobody there giving you feedback about how you could have done this or that differently. Yeah, you're on your own. And so that ties into the emotional and mental piece of it. Like, it's literally all on you. At a yeah. certain point, you have to jump from training tracks to real life. Yeah. Because you can't stick on training tracks forever. Yeah. If you're going to do this for real, you have to go out and take a real track. Yeah. But it starts to get nerve-wracking because you don't know. <laughs> Are you doing yeah. the right thing or not? And you you keep telling yourself. And, like, at least in my situation, Kyle tracked with Bauer before I tracked with Bauer. So Kyle had found deer with him and had a good recovery rate. On top of it, Kyle has been a deer hunter and has experienced tracking a deer on his own. And so he has a different window of experience. And he had that, you know, I could come home and be like, we didn't find it. And he'd be like, it's not dead then. Yeah. Your dog finds dead deer. Mm-hmm. If it if your dog doesn't find the deer, then it's not dead. Yeah. At least not right now. And so I at least had that. But if you've never had that, yeah. if you've only been the one... That goes out and does the track and you don't have anybody else, you're on your own. And it's fucking hard. It is. Well, and it's intimidating. And even just, like, being able to be like, okay, this is what I think. Yeah. Is my thought process correct? Because, like, I've asked, like... But there's also no right answer. No. Because nobody else was out there with you. No. Nobody else saw the track. Yeah. No one else's dog touched it. Yeah. So you can be like, here's what I think happened. And you'll go to David and be like, David, <laughs> David, why did this happen? And he's like, I don't fucking know. Yeah. I wasn't there. But just having It sounds that, like, like you did a good job, but I can't tell you if yeah. you did a good job because I wasn't there. But also like having him share like similar like 
stories of yeah. like, yep, I had something similar happen and like, it sucks, but it happens. Like, yeah. just that you're not in it all by yourself. Right. And maybe it's like my learning style, whatever, like just being able to have like a network of people for me yeah, is a lot easier than just like, I don't know, I'm going to figure it out by myself. Because right. I'm also like probably taps into the competitiveness like if I can't do it well I don't want to do it right so I mean that's the attitude you have to have about something like this yeah and so like that's when I had to jump from like drags and like lane tracks to immediately into tracking right because I never really got any confirmed confirmed but it's also it's very hard to get that okay it is but reading all the books and all of the like the training things like they tell you that's the progression. That's the progression. And so yeah. trying to find that progression with no network, no help, and yeah. no support saying, like, nope, it's fine. Like, your dog seems to know what you're doing. Plus, like, that's how I got Just into it. Right. Yeah. And Just that's how I got go. regular nose work. Yeah. Because I couldn't find that loophole. So I was like, well, I'm going to do something nose working with my dog. So I did right. regular nose work. So I did that for three, two or three years before I even went into tracking. So, like, I can read my dog. Right. I know when he's working. I know what he looks like on scent. Um, and so when I, like, got to the, like, Minnesota group and I was like, hey, like, can, like, you know. Can like, I be a tracker? Can I and they were like, tracker? yeah, sweet, can, like, go. You know, like, help me get, like, some confirmed kill, like, confirmed kills and, like, some, like, really good tracks. And they're just like, nope, go. I'm like, I can't. Okay, I guess I can, I guess. Okay, we need to pause because it's going to cut us off pretty oh. soon. Kyle just got home. Also, I have to pee. But I want to, we're probably going to have to do this in two parts. I'm enjoying this. Probably. I'm not ready to be done. I think we should talk about the natural progression when we come back. Yeah. So we're going to end here. That'll be part one. And then I'll do a part two in a second. Okay, goodbye. Well, you made it to the end. Part two will be up. Um, immediately after this, uh, if you want to continue listening to us ramble about game recovery, um, part two is even more obnoxious because I got further into the Topo Chico ranch waters. Um, but thank you for listening. If you were listening to that and you were curious about game recovery and if you and your dog have what it takes, I am, Amber and I are actually both hosting a tracking training day on July 16th in Harris, Minnesota. It's $20 a dog, super casual. Amber and I will lay some training lines for you. We'll put your dog on the lines. We'll talk about um, what it takes to be a tracker, how to get started, all that. Um, and there's limited spots available. We may have time this summer to put up another one. Um, if that's something that you would like to attend, I will link the I will link my Facebook page, my game recovery Facebook page, in the description of this episode, and uh, all the information is on there on how to get signed up. Um, I will also do a quick plug for my seminar, July 30th and 31st, two-day seminar. Um, Little of everything as far as topic matter, behavior modification, puppy raising, um, reactivity, aggression, whatever, all of it. Um, The first day is all seminar and lecture. Second day is all working. It costs $100 for both days. They're 
two full long days. Um, people are coming from out of state. It's going to be a huge, just like a huge party. Um, sitting around talking about dogs. So it'll be really fun. Um, there are still plenty of spots available. We've got a good group already, but there's plenty of room to join. Um, I will put those details in the description as well. So that's July 30th and 31st in Harris, Minnesota. The tracking day is July 16th, also in Harris, Minnesota. All right, stay tuned for part two.